This episode is supported by Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. Crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories, Seedlip spirits solve the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the night, the month, or forever. Because as a non-drinker, it never feels great when your only options are water, soda, or sugary mocktails. So now you can skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to your social life. So whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, Seedlip offers a drink for every type of drinker. It's crafted using a bespoke process, including traditional copper distillation of botanicals. And each of Seedlip's three variants, so Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grow 42, are alcohol-free and have their own unique flavors, which pair so perfectly with just a splash of But they can also be used to make more complex cocktails, and you'll find those in the Seedlip Cocktail Book or on their Instagram account at seedlip underscore na. So head on over to seedlipdrinks.com or .ca and use the promo code thisfamilytree10 for 10% off your favorite non-alcoholic spirit. This is available in Canada and in the U.S., and again, that is seedlipdrinks.com and thisfamilytree10. Hello everyone, I'm Alex, and I'm here with my husband Shane. We are so glad that you could join us for happy hour. For this Family Tree Podcast, episode 121. 121. Nothing's changed. Same theme song. I guess the only <laughs> difference is we took a week off in between episodes, which is something we normally don't do. Look, we've got excuses, which you can bet we're going to get to. But I want to start off by telling everyone who our guest is tonight. So I had a great chat with M. Weinman. She's a mother of two, and she candidly shares her experience as a Tourette's mom. The journey that she took to get her daughter's diagnosis and what it's been like supporting her daughter since that point. But it's so fascinating. She was such a great sharer and uh, so grateful that she came on. And what's interesting is after this interview, Lucy started exhibiting symptoms, which you flagged that might be Tourette's. Yes. Lucy has been having vocal tics since like the day after the interview. I don't know if this interview just kind of turned me on hearing them. And this is, I only knew to even listen for them after that, or if we just started. It's nonstop. All day, yeah. Yeah, but kids do get vocal tics and uh, we get into that in the conf- in the conversation. So check it out. But Shane, we got a tasty cocktail tonight. <laughs> what? <laughs> Nothing. I just, I don't know. When we haven't potted in a while, you know, I always get the giggles. So let's let's taste this tasty cocktail. Right, wait, don't you want to know what it is? Okay. It's a cause of no politan. Oh, I had a problem with this one before. Because there's no alcohol. And so it's not a cosmopolitan. It's cosmopolitan. Okay, let me take a sip. Yeah, I don't think I've ever had a cosmopolitan, so I don't know what I'm... (laughs) It's like the Sex in the City go-to drink. So this would be the sober Sex in the City drink. Totally get that. But what I'm saying is (laughs) it's as if, like, let's say I was a vegetarian for life and I'd never eaten a... A burger with meat. Right. And then they're like, this is a beyond meat burger or this is a no meat meat burger. So what do you think? Does it taste like meat? I would be like, I don't know. So I don't know if this is good or not. Well, you can know if it's good or not based on how it tastes, but you don't have to know what the original drink tastes like for comparison. As a standalone drink, is it tasty? You know what? I think you're right. It is tasty. Well, there you go, Shane. We have a winner. But let's... (laughs) Shane's just giving me these looks like I'm embarrassing him. There we go, Shane. We have a winner. (laughs) Get out of here. Guys, so I feel like we're getting back into this after ages being off, which we kind of are. We took a little break, which we don't often do. We have been 
super sick. Do you think we got some sort of illness on our getaway? Or did, did the alcohol we drank on our getaway, did it break us down? Okay, definitely the second one. Definitely the alcohol that we drank on the getaway broke us down, weakened our immune systems because the day we got back from our two-day trip, Lucy could barely open her eyes. She was really sick on the couch all day long in and out of sleep, which is so unlike her, obviously. And we caught that. And it's been a week and a half now since we started getting any symptoms, like a week and a half. And our voices probably still sound a little bit weird. I know we were congested. I felt very weak today. Mm -hmm, I, I never take naps. I took a five minute nap. I just passed out on the couch. <laughs> I tried to get on the Peloton for 20 minutes. It was impossible for me to keep my, is it called cadence? Yeah, like, yeah, I yeah. couldn't keep the cadence. I was a cadence <laughs> master before that. Now I can't get it to 80. See, my biggest problem is these headaches. It's been a week and a half of headaches and there I have a sinus, swollen sinuses, I guess. So every time I bend down, I just get this throbbing pain in my forehead by my eyebrows. It's, it's horrendous. It's awful. Just to get it out of the way, people are going to be like, I wonder if they have COVID. We don't have COVID. No. We took the rapid tests, multiple then we were like, this has to be COVID because this is so mm -hmm. intense, it's lasting so long. Then you went and pulled the lupus card, right? And got a PCR test. Yeah. You know, I didn't even have to pull the lupus card. I pulled the teacher card because apparently it was only for healthcare workers. But they go, are you in healthcare? And because I was confused about the question, I just said, no, I'm a teacher. And then they said, okay, then. And let me through. But I said it with so much confidence and I don't know if Is teachers, teachers are healthcare. No, no, no. We're not healthcare, but I don't know if teachers are allowed. But maybe because I said it, they were confused about if they should let me or not. But there was definitely confusion. But I'm hoping they're not having this like type of confused person being the gatekeeper. <laughs> that doesn't seem fair. <laughs> not that I don't want people to get PCR tests, but I think it needs to be fair. But uh, yeah, got PCR test, no COVID. So at least we can, you know, feel a little bit, feel good with about that. What's different with the PCR test? Do they stick it up any other area, orifice or? <laughs> I feel like it maybe goes closer to your brain than the rapid test. So it's still the same, up the nose, they mm -hmm. do the wiggle. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then they, but it, they don't just like stick it in a solution for two, like for 15 minutes like we do. Like I think it's, I don't know, Shane. Okay. I don't know. I oh, did it yeah. and I just know that it is better. Okay. Anyway, um, I want to talk a little bit about our getaway. So you and I, you know, we were kind of dying for a trip. I was definitely dying for a trip. And I was like, we just got to go do something. Now we're dying from the trip. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was like, hey, where can we go? That's going to be fun. Maybe that we haven't gone before. Settled on Blue Mountain, Collingwood, Thornberry. You, you planned the trip. I left it in your hands. You, you were looking up a lot of itineraries and whatnot. I thought this trip was going to be planned to the nines. I never plan things to the nines. I plan, I get eating spots and spots to stay. What I don't, eating spot did you get? Here? Uh, the place in Collingwood, that amazing Thai restaurant. What was it? Oh, okay. Yeah, you did that get was some. Great. Eating, you did get some eating spots. Yes. yes. And the place where we had our last meal in the one uh, fancy hotel. Yeah. That was also something that I looked at. But that was the restaurant in the hotel. Not our hotel. I know, but it was a very expensive hotel. Yes, but I looked up that restaurant and it kept getting pushed there and it said it was good. And I got us in at that spa. Yes. Oh, that was very good. Yeah, it was a good vacation. I'm putting it down only because <laughs> it was pretty disorganized in the sense that it was impossible to get a cab. It was nuts. So, so if you went out... 
and maybe some parents can relate to this. You get that one night you want to go out, you put all your eggs in that basket and you just, the city's dead and <laughs> nothing seems to be popping. So you're trying to pop around to the bar that's popping, but you can't find a cab or the Ubers are slow. It was like that, except there was only literally two Ubers in the entire town. Mm -hmm. They didn't run on the days we were there. And the cabs had a shortage or something or, or a new mandate in, in effect where they would not run after 9 p.m. So your last call for the cab had to be at 8.30. If you didn't call by 8.30, you could not get home. And I need to point out that we were partying in towns that were not the town we were staying in because our town was just a dead zone. Sleepy. It was sleepy. It was dead. It was dead. Zone. It was dead. And so we were partying. It wasn't that far, like 15 minutes down the road in another town. Guess how much a 15-minute cab oh would cost. Oh, my God. This was brutal. Guess. Oh, well, I know how much. <laughs> I was there. You tell them. 70 bucks. 70 freaking. Was that including tip, right? Yeah. I would. I always give 20% tip. I can't help myself. It's the first time we did it on one of these trips, too. The person literally said, woohoo. <laughs> It was way more than that. I was like, Whoa, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And then I instantly was thinking, maybe I shouldn't have given that tip. Maybe they don't tip here. Maybe they, they include it in the price. But this woman went uh, bananas. Maybe if more people tip 20%, they would actually function past 9 p.m. But we, we went to that brewery. So we went to Thornbury Brewery. And if you live in Ontario, you have probably tried one of their ciders. They make like some of the most popular ciders. What? We went to that brewery. There was a brewery right across the street from our hotel <laughs> that we decided to go to on a whim because we could see it across but from our... I've been drinking their cider for years without oh. having any connection to that brewery. Oh, wow. So it was kind of cool. And it the was... hotel we stayed in was awesome. We stayed in Penny Motel. Yes. And it was super cute. They have a nice little cocktail bar and restaurant, but again, it wasn't open while we were there. Do we call it awesome? I don't know. I think Drake Devonshire is awesome and quaint. Good point. I, I say, like, just to keep it realistic, mm -hmm. this was a v very cute hotel. Mm -hmm. Motel, I guess you would call it. Yeah. It's like that old school 50s. Refurbished. Yeah. It was very cool, but I wouldn't say it was awesome. I agree. It had a, it had a cool vibe, though, and I would recommend it. Yeah. And the, was the price okay on it? Yeah, the price was great. And uh, yeah, I liked the cocktails. I liked the people that worked there. And we sat out and like had campfire at night. And that was really nice. But like everything else, you know, like their little restaurant lobby area was only open the one night that we were there and only at certain times in the evening for like three hours. So that kind of sucked. So what tips would you give young parents or older parents who have young children who are trying to have that fun reprieve? Like, how can they learn from the mistakes that we made? Don't go to Blue Mountain. I wouldn't even say that. Here, here's. Let's say you are going to a place like right. Blue Mountain. I would say don't go from Monday to Wednesday. Don't go from Monday to Wednesday. <laughs> and if you are, stay a part of the area that you want to be. And Thornbury actually seems like a great town. There were some really great restaurants there. But Monday to Wednesday, none of them are really open. Nothing is happening past, what, like 9 p.m. I think 8 p.m. was the last seating at all the restaurants. But impossible. It, to, it was really hard, not impossible, because we did end up finding live music. Mm -hmm. But we would ask everyone in town, where do you get live music? They'd be like, maybe here. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> the, the martini bar will play live music. Oh, my God. We go to the martini bar. We're literally the only two people in there. The waitresses were just bored out of their minds. I think one actually had their head on the bar yeah. asleep and had to wake up when we walked like in. We ruined their night. They were No, they were laughing. They were 
We were like, oh, someone actually is here. You could hear a pin drop. There's not even ambient music playing. Yeah, Not only is there not live music, there's not music on the speakers. And we were like, oh, this is Blue Mountain. Lots of bars here. Which one plays music? We thought this one did. They're like, yeah, we do. At lunchtime. But not not now. Uh, we're like, what about the Irish pub? They're like, I don't know. I doubt it. So we're a little bit down because we're looking for live music. Mm-hmm. We go to the Irish pub. And that was the only place kind of rocking. They had this awesome Shane, live kinda music. Kind of rocking. It was so rocking. There was 12 people there. Well, it got busier. Well, there might have been 14 tops, but that, <laughs> that was a strong 14. It was. The 14 gave us the illusion of a full bar because this guy, the singer, was from Nova Scotia. Yes. And you suggested, what was the song? Barrett's Privateers. Barrett's Privateers, which is like a family favorite song of yours. There's no guitar. It's just a vocal song. It's a cappella. But the guy was great. He just pulled it up and did it instantly. And uh, sing a little bit of it. How does it go? (laughs) Oh, the year was 1778. Well, I wish I was in Sherbrooke now. Yeah. (laughs) It's a a real stomping song. And if two people start stomping... The whole bar will start. You can't help yourself. So everyone's just going and going and going. And the singer was like, whoa, this is one of the best shows I've ever done. I've never had (laughs) people stomp throughout the whole song. (laughs) So it did. We did create a good atmosphere. And at the end of the day, we kind of got what we wanted. Uh, Hell yeah. He played all my requests and we didn't even have cash to tip him. So we just bought him a beer, but he had like 12 and I didn't realize that. Well, he did. <laughs> it's not like we started a tab for him and he got 12 beers. No, from us. no, no, no. He had them waiting from other people. Yeah. So, really, our gift to him wasn't was, even a gift. It was, was more a of a terrible new, hangover. It was a nuisance. But yeah. that was a blast for me. I just, I hated the cab situation. The spa was amazing. If anybody, Scandinave spa is like, um, it's a chain in Canada, I guess. There's it's three or four of them. Scandinave? Scandinave. Oh, how did we get to that spa again? We walked. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we walked 45 minutes in a trail that is not s- snow plowed or anything. Snow up to our knees the whole way. Freezing our ass. During up. a windstorm, not a snowstorm. No, no. This was a windstorm emergency warning. Signs were blowing down. Like <laughs> literal, like, like metal signs. Out of your mind, like danger. Yeah. Like your life is in jeopardy. <laughs> and we found out afterwards that coyotes or what runs through there oh somebody told us oh cougars cougars. i doubt that oh that was a cabbie later he said cougars run through there but then he wanted to make a joke like not like the older women he was the ones on four legs not two (laughs) and and we heard him but we didn't laugh so he goes you hear me i said the ones with four legs not two we're like oh yes <laughs> but that that experience that was my first time at the scandinavian spa and it was incredible thank so, god we left 50 minutes before i know yeah but it was it was so much fun truly um they just have different pools like hot pools and then like the really icy cold pools and then different kinds of what do you call them like steam rooms and saunas that you yes. can go into it was awesome. The best, okay, so it, it feels great, right? To go from the hot pool to cold to steam room, whatever. Feels amazing. They kept this place really beautiful. The best part, hands down, was just the people that were there and the people watching. 
Well, it was really fun to, yeah, to watch the people. Also, another element was there was these long, high, skinny trees. Yeah. And it was an <laughs> extreme weather warning. And you can just hear them cracking. And they're all around you. It was very scary. And all you're doing is calculating your life the entire time. You're like, if that one falls, would I have time to deke this way, that way? And everyone is kind of thinking about their mortality the whole yeah. time. Yeah. We we're going to die together with those weird strangers. How would you have felt about that? Yeah, let's talk about the strangers. There was odd like couples, odd older couples, young, not necessarily kids, but maybe 17 or 18 year olds. There was this one girl or woman who couldn't stop kind of laughing. So yes. she'd be looking at us and then turn her head and be like. Hmm. There was the one couple that looked like they were doing some funny business under the water. The one guy was getting a hand job. He <laughs> definitely he was. was. <laughs> oh, yeah. These people were in the first flush of their relationship. They were 25. They didn't know that PDA is not really acceptable. Or that doing that at a spa in a public pool might not be Yeah, it was like okay. that Will Ferrell sketch with, uh, who does that, Rachel <laughs> yeah, yeah, Dratch? Yeah, Rachel Dratch. <laughs> yeah. um, but anyway, that was really fun. All in all, it's not Wait, somewhere. My well, favorite sorry, part sorry. of the spa part? was your pretend love of the cold dip oh <laughs> alex thinks she's very brave to go into a cold pool she's like shane let's go in there and for some reason you think i'm scared of cold i actually embrace the cold i can be in the cold for a long time like you gonna do it of, of course alex i've jumped in the lake at your cottage in november yeah. and been there for like five minutes you're like okay let's do it big boy and all this so I just walk in. By the time I've walked in, you've already dipped your toe in pretty much mm -hmm. and hopped out. I dipped my toe in and hopped out. I always went to the neck. Always went to the neck. You hopped out pretty quick. Yes. Went and to the neck and hopped out. then we started making a rule. You got to stay in there for at least 30 seconds. Well, we went 30 and then we went 60. Yes. But then you thought you were really brave and we go to another pool and you're like, whoa, you're like, I'm used to it. And you just stayed in there for like five minutes. It felt and you, great. And I, I left just not because I was uncomfortable, just because I wanted to go to the, <laughs> the heat because the heat's more fun to be in for me. But you thought you were all cool. And then I looked at the sign. It was only 75 degrees, the pool. It wasn't even cold. I know. Well, because the, the real cold pools were 60 degrees. Yes. Those ones were actually 75 cool. is still pretty cold when it's like minus 11 but outside. you had thought you had Jedi minded yourself. I know. I did. With, like, so I found that funny. I was doing like, you know, like dolphin swims and just like having a great time, like actually swimming across. Like people I were walking by. I wondered what those uh, noises were. <laughs> no, it was so fun. But yeah. All in all, if we go back there, it needs, we just need to figure something out because that didn't exactly work. But there were great elements of it and not so great. So our next trip is going to be to another staycation, obviously, but Toronto. Blue Mouse Mountain isn't a staycation, though. No, no, no. But Toronto is. For yeah, because sure. that's, we know that area. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but because we were sick and tired of not having a pulse like we want the city mm -hmm. to be vibing we want to know places to go and we want to have an abundance of places to try out we're going to toronto on a weekend on like thursday to sunday so we're going to go to a raptors game on thursday this is for alex's 32nd birthday what am i are you turning 33 no I'm married. Oh, wait, am i turning 32 or 33 no would you call yourself a milf or a cougar <laughs> <laughs> And what is the difference? No, it would have to be MILF because uh, cougars go after younger men. Mm, oh, because they're easier prey. Like That's yeah, the cougar yeah. analogy. Okay. MILFs aren't going after anybody. 
Can a MILF be in their 20s? Yes. I guess the definition is just once you have a kid. I always look at it as like you have to be over 40. No. So you're a MILF. I, I guess. Well. If you'd like to have relations with me, then I'm a MILF to you. Yeah. Am I a DILF to you? Of course. Good. <laughs> but yeah, we're going to do Toronto on a weekend. <laughs> I, I can't wait. We're going to stay at the Gladstone Hotel, which came highly recommended. Very excited for that. And hey, if you're listening to this, we are open to hearing any records you have because I know places have changed so much in the whole pandemic landscape. New places have opened, old favorites have shut down. What are some Tell of us our what's good. favorite Toronto places? Mildred's for breakfast. Glory Hole. For donuts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> of course, for donuts. And what My else? favorite sushi place in Toronto is Fune. Oh, there's the little Ill Sammy's. Ill Sammy's that for a good sandwich. Good sandwich. What's it? Black, Black Camel, Camel, of course. I'm just trying to think. Oh, oh, um, geez, Louise, Shane, the Mexican spot. Because there's oh, yeah. La Cantina and then another. Electric Mud Barbecue. Electric Mud one. was great, yeah. That's the one that on our second date it gave me uh, diarrhea, plop, plop. Yeah, when I found out I was in love with you, if I... If I could withstand that, mm-hmm. plop, plop. Oh, yeah, my goodness. I was doing Morris code in the other room to tell you, <laughs> tell you love my you love. I too, plop, plop, <laughs> in case the listeners needed help visualizing that. But no, I'm really looking forward to it because it's going to be, I think, such a great opportunity just to do things in Toronto that we never make time for and just do other things like go see a movie during the day. Maybe two movies in one Maybe day. Maybe two movies. I want to go to the museum. I might want to go Say to- Say that again, Uncut Jam? What do you want to do? The museum. <laughs> you said it funnier. The museum. The museum. How do you say museum? Not like you. Uncut <laughs> Yeah, um, museum. Yeah, and I, I think it'll be such a great time. I'm very excited. I don't know if there's any way. Shane and I had a one epic night our first year together. At Just one? <laughs> no, at Drake's Club. That's attached to the ACC, the Share Club. Yes. Epic in the sense that it was like such a total failure. Both of us just, we, it, it wasn't good. It, we set it up. So we had like a booth to ourselves, a share club. We somehow got bottle service. I don't know why. It was just two of us. And then we took advantage of the bottle service. And then we were not in a good headspace. Everything got super weird from then on out. And it was a weird night. So I'm wondering, can we do that night over and beat it? And not let the night beat us. You're saying you want to go to Share Club? Yeah. We can die trying. Let's do it. My friend, Adam Birchall, hooked us up Mm -hmm. because he was trying to get young, cool people to go. But I don't know if we fit that bill anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I I just bought high high thigh, thigh high boots, Shane. Say no more. We've got a MILF coming through with thigh highs. We're still trying to promote Drake Club. This is a cool place. No, I think I think it could work. I think it could work. Okay. And Shane, we need to take ownership over that night and be better than it. Yes. But it did, that night being so bad, it did spawn a proposal after that. Because after that night, I was like, she's going to probably break up with me. <laughs> so I better propose or something. <laughs> it's only logical. No, no, we just, we... It, it, I don't know. It was good. It was good. It was relationship forming. It was love uh, deepening. Yeah, you got to go through the fire sometimes to right? forge a steel. Diamond. Diamonds, yes. 
or pressure with diamonds, I guess. Yeah, but f- I think steel is forged through fire. We're poets. Yeah. Well, I said it right, and then you just said it wrong, so I'm trying to help you. <laughs> I, I know pressure it. makes diamonds. And- okay, but Shane, moving on. I want to talk about sickness. All right, so you and I have been sick now for going on two weeks. It's been brutal. The kids are getting it, then we're getting it again and giving it back to the kids, and it's a disgusting, sicky cycle. Yes. When you were a kid, what were you like being sick? Because I know what you're like as a man being sick, and I will say I don't think, and I don't think I do either, but I don't think you handle sickness particularly well. Not particularly bad, but I don't think you handle it well. And I want to know what you were like as a kid when you would get sick. Yeah, I just watch Prices, right? <laughs> kind of pretty normal. I, I I embraced it a little bit. I liked the feeling of being run down. I got to be cozy and get taken care of. Vicks Vapor Rub was always rubbed on oh, my yeah. my chest. But I wasn't too different than I am now. If anything, my immune system was stronger as a child. <laughs> so you know. get sick more now? You think? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you love that. <laughs> Who did you like? Who's your favorite person to take care of you when you would get sick? My and mom. What, what would she do that she was She was the like... only person who took care of me. <laughs> I didn't have other people. My butler, Georgie. <laughs> my sister would give me massages. No, uh, yeah, it was just my mom. Okay, what was your, what was your favorite thing? Because, again, I also, as a kid, like, hated being sick, but also kind of liked it because you got a little bit pampered. But what was your favorite thing that your mom would do for you when you would get sick? Make me... Uh, soup and sandwiches and I would dip the sandwiches in the soup that was always very nice the Vicks Vapor Rub is obviously a good memory she would fold like a towel and put it like in my shirt mm, like so warm towels I had like a co- a towel collar <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, run a bath for me I, like I, I was a big bath kid mm-hmm. I'm also a big bath man <laughs> maybe there's a better way to word that I don't know but you're a bath man yeah I'm a bath man that's fine bath person I guess what about you because, see, I know for you, I guess you're asking, does my mom or my dad? My dad wouldn't touch me. Yeah. Really. But I figure your parents always massaged you and whatnot. So who mm-hmm. was it more, your mom or your dad? Well, my mom would be the one staying home and taking care of me. Like if one of them had to stay home from work, they'd both help me out, obviously. But same thing with the towel collar, Shane. For certain things, it would be like a warm towel collar. But then for migraines and fevers, it would be a cool towel, towel collar. What, it wore sunglasses? Oh, Yeah. Sorry, I was trying to do the Kool-Aid man. You did it. (laughs) He's a little less subdued than that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But um, no, it was just my mom would always kind of like, you know, have me. She'd cuddle me and be tickling my head and like sing me songs. Just always make sure I was okay. And it sucked. Like I got sick a ton because that's when I was getting seizures. I was... You know, having, having a seizure, mom, tickling your head. <laughs> <laughs> Can you please call nine one one? No, but you know, she was always really good at taking care of me. And you talk about baths. I want to ask you if there was any I do funny remedies that your family had, because when you mentioned baths, one thing that was big within my family my bopcha would always recommend vinegar baths and if we were sick with her at her house she would run a vinegar bath and plop us in it and we'd just be there inhaling vinegar for an hour it's funny as a joke i was gonna say my mom would only let me bathe in apple cider vinegar (laughs) but yeah i won't say that anymore but no there was no i I would have bubbles like that's not a weird thing but maybe if i was sick i'd be 
more propensity to use bubbles? I don't know. But no, but like there were... I'm, I'm telling was, you. I'm not asking oh, you. Oh, yeah. I don't no, know. but I'm curious. Like, were, was there any like um, traditional thing that your mom would do to I said make you... Yeah, Ex- but aside from bubbles. Bubbles, like, bubbles it's just... Bubbles are it. I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so mad at bubbles. <laughs> it's so regular. I'm sorry. Okay, vinegar. Let's talk about this. Did it work? Is it real? Is it old wives' tale? I don't know. Bobchi used vinegar for everything. Like, she'd use it to tan in the summertime. Does that work? It sounds a little Bernie. <laughs> oh, it was Bernie. I tried it as a 15-year-old, and I have never been the same. Mm. But Bobcha did use it every summer uh, to tan, and she had been doing it since she was a kid, which is wild, and I don't know how she didn't get skin cancer at any point in her life, because that's, like, insane. But yeah, no, it worked for her, and you know what, hey... Maybe the vinegar bath worked. Maybe there's something to it. I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm willing to look it up. Honestly, I I don't know. She's been doing it since she was a kid. I had me in it. I'm sure my dad had those baths growing up and we all got hair on our chest. We're all good. You know what I mean? You have hair on your chest? Oh my goodness, you do. <laughs> I don't. I do have a little hair right here. Little. Yeah, one Underneath hair on my your chin. chin it hair grows in. and then I pull it out and it grows again. Do you ever see it and not tell me it's there? No, yeah, I guess if the light hits it perfect because you have blonde hair, I can see it blowing in the wind a little bit with like glinting mm-hmm. the light. Because I just realized because I had plucked it if, like a, maybe two months ago, but it is now back. Yeah, I don't mind hairy women at all. Yeah, it looks it looks fine. It's not bad, honestly. It's a postpartum um, chin hair. Oh, that's new. Yeah, I only oh. started getting it since I gave birth to Lucy. Okay. Uh, let's. We're running out of time on this open, but do you want to do quick... Oh, wait. I want to ask you before I get into this. Yeah. You, how, how often did you fake being sick to get out of school? I was... Okay. Well, it's funny. So I was sick quite a bit as it is because I would have seizures and migraines. Um, so I was home often, but... My best friend's mom was my babysitter. So if one of us felt like a little off, the other one would be like, ooh, I have a headache too, or my tummy hurts too. And we would both fake sick together pretty often, like once every couple months. And uh, we just have a blast all day long. Like we'd be playing like hair games. We'd be forced to take a nap. Chin hair games? (laughs) I could only do that as a grown woman. But we'd be forced to take a nap for one hour in the afternoon so that the babysitter could actually like get some rest because we all know you know once having kids how exhausting it is to have to entertain kids all day you know and so we do that and I remember I would watch like in the the bed that I would sleep in there was a clock across from me and I would watch it hit every single second for a whole hour and I would never be able to sleep because I was just so excited to get out there and start playing again but I loved a good fake sick day it was, yeah. was nothing better what was your favorite show to watch no we didn't we just played you never watched price is right or leave it to beaver or anything no whoa weirdo okay um <laughs> what about you wait did you fake yeah same routine as you yeah, yeah. i think I, it would have to be based in somewhat truth i, mm-hmm. I would just exaggerate mm-hmm. an existing ailment yeah i just love that uh price is right I can tell. I didn't know how big a Price is Right fan you were. Me either until I started getting <laughs> sick. <laughs> um, okay, let's talk about movies really quick. Like two-second movie reviews. Right, two We've seconds. been watching some really good in-depth docs that cover a wide number of years. I'm oh my talking gosh, yeah. like 
the I think the shortest doc covered maybe 20 years mm-hmm. and then the one doc covered 36 years of three people's life. So that one is called Life of Crime 1984 to 2020. So that's 36 years in these three petty criminals mm-hmm. life. Documentary, look it up. It's on Crave if you're in Canada. What'd you think of it? It was amazing. It was hard to watch. It was super heavy. It's about drug use. You see a lot of heroin use in it. And it's just really heavy. The situations that these people are in, they live terribly. And it's called Life of Crime. So it's like, what are you expecting to see? But phenomenal watch. My short review is go watch it. Shocking, phenomenal, unbelievable. I don't know any more adjectives or whatever. But recommendation from your dad, Mm -hmm. who's just... He mentioned it at dinner and I said, this sounds amazing. He said it was. We checked it out that night and it was worth it. Okay, next up, Kanye West doc. Oh my God. Kind of odd to watch it right now because he's obviously such a polarizing figure. If not polarizing, he's probably definitely someone you don't want to mm-hmm. see a documentary of because you think it's going to be uh, putting him up on some sort of pedestal or something yeah. in a way that doesn't feel real because this doc is produced by his friend yeah like a long time friend long time friend so this is about like 20 something years Mm -hmm. this doc goes into like the beginning of kanye's career and it is not what you would expect it is amazing i don't know the title of this doc but if you like kanye or if you dislike kanye it does not matter it just goes into his life story and how he was with his mom his drive how he used to be compared to how he was now the things he predicted that would happen that did it's all just extremely fascinating and i'm i'm thinking it's a three-part series i'm thinking the last part you're gonna see him kind of devolve into his what i assume is a mental illness yeah we haven't we haven't seen part three yet it hasn't come out but yeah it's interesting and i was a little bit hesitant to watch it because kanye is being abusive right now he's being abusive towards his ex-wife kim kardashian that's called it's got a name for it i I was reading up on it but it's like post-separation abuse and I was really nervous, but it is so, it's not just a buddy propping up another buddy. It's a really amazing, just, it's it's an amazing documentary. The guy that did it had some incredible footage. It is inspirational. It is very cool. It's very interesting. And yeah, the third part is going to be him, as Shane said, devolving into mental illness, it seems like, judging by the trailer. And then we watch Roadrunner. Lastly, another one follows the life of Anthony Bourdain. Very fascinating, very interesting, heartbreaking, Mm -hmm. cool to see. Like he became famous at the age of 44 when he didn't have two cents in his bank. He had less than, you know, a homeless person on the street. He was in debt. Mm -hmm. So for him to turn his life around that late and become such a famous person, inspire so many people to travel and just make different television like because mm-hmm. he revolutionized the way like the this popular what, what do you call this food tourism yeah, to yeah. television yeah travel he, TV. he made that thing a thing what um really got me about the documentary and what i loved about it was that you know it shows it goes through the process of how bourdain really encourage people to live better and like experience life to the fullest every taste every sound every feeling yet because of his addiction and his mental health issues he was unable to do that even though he was doing all these things that you know if we were in the same position doing them ideally we'd be 
you know, wanting to experience everything so well. And it was kind of like his inability to do what he was kind of encouraging others to do. Well, he always said he had the best job in the world. Mm -hmm. And he traveled 250 days a year. Nuts. Which is, well, he was shooting 250 days mm -hmm. a year. I don't think he traveled that much. But he had a kid in his 50s too. He thought he would never have children. It's very interesting to see that. What, what do you rate, like if you had to say one, two, three in terms of which doc was the best to oh, geez. least best? That's really hard. I'm going to say, because they're all so fascinating, but just in how they were done, I'm going to say Kanye number one, The even though that's not completed yet, and then Life of Crime, and then Roadrunner. Yeah, that's why I, I ordered them too. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. The Roadrunner one, although it was great, if I had one criticism, I'd say I'd want to see the other side of Anthony Moore. It felt yeah. like it was being... I guess you have to respect, too respectful maybe of his life. and Maybe too poetic. Holding him in too much reverence. Yeah, I agree. Because uh, they would touch on like maybe some negative aspects of his personality, but they wouldn't delve in the mm -hmm. way they would other things. But I guess that's to be expected when someone has just passed recently and is being produced by loved ones. Anyway, that's what we've got for the opening. A little bit longer, I apologize, but we were having fun. All good. Uh, the guest today is... M. Weinman. Of course. But before we get to this interview, let's tell everyone who we are supported by. We are supported by Mini Miosh, a premium, organic, ethically made and sustainable kids and babies clothing company founded and created in Toronto. Mini Miosh believes in quality over quantity and they make the best basics for your littles. Are they doing adult clothing now too? They have sweaters. Yes. That's they have very... adult sweaters. Get those. Yes. They're yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so now the whole family is comfy cozy because their wardrobe staples are so soft, so comfy, and just timeless. You can pass them from kid to kid regardless of gender. Their organic cotton fabrics are knit and dyed locally using GOTS certified organic cotton and low impact non-toxic dyes. And what does GOTS certified cotton mean Well, you? you know I know that, Shane, but I'm just not going to discuss it now because I'm running out of time. And Mini Miosh is on a mission to leave the planet better off for our little ones than when they arrived on it. And mm. they believe that every little bit counts. As do I. <laughs> so you can find the company online at minimiosh.com or at minimiosh on Instagram and Facebook. And if you use the promo code thisfamilytree15, you are getting 15% off your order. This is available in Canada and in the US. And again, that is minimiosh.com and thisfamilytree15. All right. But we are also supported by Bravado, Bravado Designs. Designs. <laughs> Jinx. Bravado Designs makes the most comfortable bras that you can get your hands on. I got introduced when I was nursing Lucy. Maybe I was pregnant at the time. I think I go back and forth every week because I'm not really sure. But once I had a Bravado Designs bra in my hands, I truly never even looked around. It was so comfortable. It was so practical. It was easy to use. And I'm not good at fumbling with those clips. But these were truly so practical and look great underneath a t-shirt. Shane, what do you think of them? I think I'm pretty good at fumbling around with clips, but this, <laughs> these ones just made it so much easier than normal bras. And now Bravado Designs also has an everyday collection. So these are bras with no clips, not just for nursing mothers, and you can wear them, you know, every day for the rest of your life as a boob haver. And they are- well said. 
Thank you. They are so comfortable. Again, they are made with so much quality and we truly love this product. So you can get the nursing bras at bravadodesigns.com or you can head to the Canadian website for access to the everyday collection at ca.bravadodesigns.com. But regardless of which website you go to, use the promo code thisfamilytree20 for 20% off. Again, that is bravadodesigns.com and thisfamilytree20. And now let's get to our interview with Em. Folks, well, we are here with M. Weinman. We connected on Instagram, and I've really been looking forward to, the, to having this conversation all week. So we are talking today Tourette syndrome. Yeah, and we are. I was hoping that you could start off by giving me and the listeners a little portrait of your family. What's your family? Who's in it? Okay, so it's me and my husband, Nick. We've been married astoundingly for, I guess we're going we're going into our our 14th wedding anniversary. Amazing. This Congrats. Summer. We were babies. We were tiny little babies when we got married. <laughs> how wait, how old were you? Uh, he was 23 and I was 24. That you are babies. Are you religious? Yeah. Is is that No. No. <laughs> no. Sorry, I shouldn't laugh, but just very very much the opposite. Um <laughs> Which is actually interesting, and maybe we'll talk about this a little bit later, because Ella mm-hmm. seems to be religious, okay. or thinks she's religious. And like in, in our family, we're very open about everything. Like, nothing's off the table. Right. You can talk about anything, you can ask about anything, I'll give you answers. And she started asking about like spirituality and religion, and I gave her answers, and she's like, yeah, I think that works for me. So that's interesting to navigate. Yeah. But that's, I digress. So Nick and I uh, married 14 years this July. I still think I'm 14 years old, so I don't know how that happened. <laughs> Ella, she is nine and Bran is five. And we have two obnoxious dogs as well. The kids are four years apart. It wasn't our choice. We had fertility issues. So that's how the cookie crumbled. But yeah, that's us. And which child has Tourette syndrome? My eldest. Your eldest. Okay. Which is an interesting dynamic because I spend a lot of time, uh, not like overly worried, but I'm definitely sort of keeping an eye on Bryn and cautious and wondering if, you know, if she makes a sound or a head movement or something that is reminiscent Mm -hmm. of uh, something that Ella would do. I'm like ready to go. I'm gearing up. So how, cause you know, people ask me all the time, uh, having an autoimmune disorder. So I have lupus and people are like, well, is it hereditary? And I say, well, it seems like it, but there is no definitive answer. And, and in their research, they can't even say definitively that it is hereditary or not. Uh, but everything in my life seems to be pointing to yes. With something like Tourette syndrome in my knowledge of it is so, so basic Okay, so I'm hoping to lean on you here for some information. But I understand that it's a nervous system disorder. So it's it's neurological and it is totally hereditary. It is. Yeah, which is really interesting because me and my whole family have been playing detective and trying to figure out where it came from, which is actually really toxic. And Mm -hmm. I think I did it for about five minutes and then got over it. And it's like, that's not the point. You know, it's here. It doesn't matter where it came from, but there are some family members that have really latched on to sort of figuring out where it came from or who has it. And I just, I think that that's not the point and it doesn't help, but yeah, it's definitely hereditary. 
when, so when we joined the Tourette's clinic, which has been hugely helpful to us, that was, you know, they had a lot of questions about symptoms and Nick or myself or our parents. And there's just really, uh, I mean, our eyes have been opened a little bit more recently and we're thinking, okay, maybe there's like some neurodiversity there in the family, but there really isn't anything very obvious. So this would have taken you by surprise, I guess. And you know, before we get into that, can you kind of outline, because you are way more knowledgeable than me here, what exactly is Tourette's Tourette's syndrome? Like, I have a friend whose brother has Tourette's syndrome, among many other things. Yes, and that's super common. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. So, it's been a big learning curve for us, too. And I think, honestly, like, Hollywood and you know, media has done Mm -hmm. a bit of a disservice to Tourette's. There's definitely like a stigma attached to it. There is, there are like 3% of people with Tourette's have coprolalia. And that means that they're like swearing or saying things when they don't want to. Like, that's just not the reality. And that's what everyone latches onto because, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's quirky. It's funny. Oh my gosh, let's run with this. But it's just, it's done a real disservice to people that do have Tourette's. It's been a huge learning curve for us. It's so totally different um, from what we originally thought. And the way that we came around to figuring out that she had Tourette's was actually very helpful to us because we were totally blindsided. No one was even testing for that. We were going through symptoms as opposed to getting one big diagnosis off the bat and then attributing sort of certain things to that. We, we were starting slow. And, uh, when Ella was about three years old, I guess I started seeing some little symptoms and, uh, and started, you know, talking to her doctor about them getting them checked. And it's, it's very interesting because as it started, it was all, uh, mental health related. Okay. So it was like, okay, let's get her into a psychiatrist. Let's see, this is a mood thing got to be a mood thing. Oh, now it's a behavioral thing. Um, And there's a huge component of Tourette's that has nothing to do with tics at all and everything to do with what looks like behavior. So I I, want to pause you there Uh, again, just for listeners who aren't familiar, because you mentioned tics and, you know, you mentioned the one that kind of everybody has in their idea when we think about Tourette's and that is the saying things when you don't necessarily want to swearing, whatever. But ticks are that is, is is that essentially the like the key feature of Tourette syndrome and, and what do what does that look like uh commonly so it's not necessarily the key feature but it is essential to your diagnosis okay you have to have motor ticks and vocal ticks for a period of at least a year that don't go away before they will even consider that it's Tourette's oh wow um Ella actually has 52 ticks. Some are active, some are dormant. That's a really rough number because I haven't actually sat down and counted them <laughs> recently. But, you know, new ones are coming up every week and, and old ones are disappearing. And then they might, they might resurface. They look like when they started, you know, it, Nick offered her a Kleenex for uh, the better part of a year. And there was just something inside me that knew I could tell there was a pattern to it. And I knew that 
she didn't have a runny nose and he kept offering Kleenex. And, and for some reason, like Nick and I are so open about everything, but I just held on to it mm-hmm. and sort of watched it for a while. I didn't want to get him worried or spiraling. And I just sort of was holding on to it and I could hear her. She would start going, you know, <clears throat> okay, <clears throat> and it would be like this rhythmic, Thing. And he's like, oh, honey, do you want a Kleenex? And she'd look at him and be like, no, I'm fine. <laughs> Which sort of like further led to me making note of it. So those vocal tics started. Then she had like a lot of eye blinking, face scrunching. Um, she would have like arm extension things where she would have to extend her arm. Oh my gosh. So, so many things like I could go on and on. I'm um, a big one with her, with her head where she would, you know, flick her head back. Sorry, so like different kinds kinds of habits that eventually just they just don't ever go away. Because I you know, I think about even myself, I had a habit of doing that. Like I'm nodding my head with kind of some force. Honestly, for like two years. And my parents were really freaked out and I couldn't not do it. And being able to tell the difference between something that's a habit, like I grew out of it, I don't have that habit now. um, And I haven't had any other ones. But is there a difference between like habits like that and when they are terrestrial related? So it's, it's actually really common for young children to have tick disorders or to have a tick or two ticks for a period of time. And it goes hand in hand with their development. And what they're looking for is the combination of vocal and motor tics for a year that don't go away like there have to be it has to be more than one and a lot of other stuff like behavioral Mm -hmm. stuff which it's so hard to explain Uh, one of the things is called disinhibition and it's basically like uh, your natural inhibitors in your brain that tell you like, oh, that's not such a good idea. Let's not do that. Like, oh, there's a fire alarm. Maybe I'll pull it. Mm, no, we shouldn't do that. Those those don't exist for some people with Tourette. So they'll think, let's pull the fire alarm. And their body's already putting that into an action before their brain can put the brakes on. And that comes across as, you know, especially in children, bad behavior. Mm-hmm. And what we were seeing was you know, she, I would get called into the office or the teacher would phone me and she's, she was really little at this point, like kindergarten. And it would be, I don't understand why, for example, the girl who comes in and takes all the chairs down and is so helpful, you know, two seconds later is body slamming someone or knocking stuff off the table. Or I don't, there was a lot of, I don't understand, or it doesn't make sense. And yet she was still you know, being not punished because it's mm-hmm. school, school's a bit different now than it was when I went, but you know, she would have consequences mm-hmm. for those actions and have to write out, you know, why did you do this? Oh. And a lot of the time she would say, I don't know. And this isn't, she's like four. I don't know. I don't know. And when they would talk to her, she would just put her head down and sort of stare and, you know, they'd be going, you know, why, why aren't you answering us? Like why she's sometimes she'd say, I tried not to, but my body just did it. Or I was telling myself no, but then I, my body just, and they, they would say stuff like, well, you know, you're at the age where, when, when, you know, you feel your body doing it, you need to stop yourself. And they were trying to teach her Mm self-regulation 
And so she was feeling like a piece of crap. And, um, you know, one instance, there was a lunch bag left in the playground. And she said, oh, you know, Mr. So-and-so, I found a lunch bag. And he said, oh, why don't you give that to me, Ella? And she said, I want to figure out whose it is. And she spent her whole, like, recess or whatever (laughs) asking around, is this your lunch bag? And everyone said no. And then recess ended. And she said, I couldn't find whose lunch bag it was. And he said, okay, hand it to me. And she held it over, uh, like, a puddle of mud. And then right as he was about to grab it, she looked him right in the eye and dropped it. (laughs) And I actually got called to the office for that. And they're like, what the hell? Mm-hmm. Like, that is just so disrespectful. Like, it's such a, she stared me in my eyes and just threw it in the mud puddle. And Ella was there quietly looking down and everything. And I said, yeah, okay, I hear you. Yeah, I'm going to, we'll have a chat when we get home. You know, I'll try to figure out what was going on. And every single time we'd go home and she would say, I don't know what happened. I didn't mean to do it. I told myself, don't put it in the puddle. And then I just dropped it. So as the parent, like, it's very, very hard to communicate that to educators or, you know, friends or anyone that's seeing her doing this. And I'm, I'm sitting there going, oh, no, she really, she really didn't want to do it. Or, you know, oh, she feels really bad. Because it just sounds like I'm a naive parent that like thinks their child's an angel. Like what is going on in your head at this time, right? Because you think you're like self-regulation's good. We do need to teach kids self-regulation, but you're realizing that there is a disconnect between what's happening and what is trying to be taught and the consequences. So have yeah. were you at this time thinking, oh, my child might be neurodi- neurodiverse? No, I was thinking sort of the path that I was being led down as well. And I was going down that path with, with the doctors and I I had already been talking to them about all this. Ella was incredibly distraught. Mm -hmm. She was four years old and I was putting her to bed at night and she was saying stuff like, mommy, I hope the sun doesn't come up tomorrow because I don't think I can do it. And I'm like, you're four. She said, when I wake up tomorrow, I'm going to leave and I'm going to walk all the way past the corner store and I'm going to keep going so that you and daddy and Bryn can have a better life. What? Like, yeah, four. And so I was going, okay, I think, oh my God. One time she went into um, the cupboard under the sink where, and the only reason that it was like totally unlocked and ready to go is because she was a very responsible communicative child. She went in under the sink and she I found her like holding a bottle of like chemical she knew it was chemical we don't touch that and she was like unscrewing and everything and I looked at her and I said what are you doing and she said you know if I drink this I will die and I obviously thought we were dealing with mental health issues right and that's the route we were going because she seemed so overwhelmed and full of like self-loathing and so she she was really depressed she cried all the time well it, it's scary to think that a child that young can even have mental health issues and I, and I know you know we are on track and looking out for these things more we're more aware of this possibility but even knowing that it's shocking to hear so is is mental health often tied to Tourette syndrome yes so Tourette's has comorbidities. So it's really interesting. It, it'll go hand in hand with 
a number of things, things like uh, ODD, oppositional defiance disorder, Mm -hmm. ADD, ADHD, um, depression, anxiety disorder, OCD. And all of those things present a little bit differently because they are comorbid to Tourette's. So it's, it's not exactly typical. It doesn't present typically, which makes it difficult as well. Um, but yeah, it's very common for them to go hand in hand. What we figured out was all of these terrible emotional things, these almost feelings of self-harm or or self-loathing that were coming from this tiny four-year-old girl were because she felt like she was a bad child. Mm -hmm. She was, she felt out of control. She knew she was out of control. She didn't know what was wrong with her. She didn't know why she wanted to do good things, Mm -hmm. you know, air quote, good things, and then would do bad things. And, and for a four-year-old, you know, that, that is a lot. Everyone seemingly always upset with you. She, I like to think that we were incredibly supportive here. So like I knew something was going on at this point. I, Nick knew something was going on Mm -hmm. at this point, obviously. So we were trying to be supportive. But I would also be completely lying if I didn't say we were overwhelmed. We had a newborn baby, Bryn. And like, sometimes I was like, okay, is it the baby? Mm -hmm. Like we had a kid and she's like, it's a huge change. I am unloved. I, you know, I hate you guys. I'm going to, and a lot of it did look like acting out. And so, you know, I try to keep my cool. I, I try to parent you know, uh, clear boundaries, but gently. And, and it was just like, nothing was happening. And it was so bad. She was having these meltdowns where I'd have to like hold her body and just, and she'd be going, Oh, I can't breathe. And I'm thinking like, okay, I'm suffocating her Mm -hmm. to death now. Should I let go? But if I let go, then she doesn't feel the Mm -hmm. safety of me around her. And she just would like lose it even more. Like it was just, it was very dramatic. It was a really tough time. And I was so worried for my, my time. She's a tiny little kid. Like four is nothing. That's horrific. It's, it's on it. It's so scary to think about a kid having those thoughts. A kid, kids all want to be good. Like they all want to be good. And I've never met a, a bad kid. Like a kid will cause trouble, know they're causing trouble, know that that's not what they should be doing. But the kid is never bad. And the yeah, fact I totally that, agree with that. Yeah, and that language, you know, it gets tossed around even casually, I think, by parents sometimes. Like, oh, you know, maybe we want to stay away from so-and-so. They, you know, they're a bad kid or whatever. And it's so – we say it's so cavalier, but there is so much packed into that. And we've I've gotten in this conversation about good and bad with other people before, but under different things. Like we've talked about good and bad in regards to eating disorders and body dysmorphia mm-hmm. and – how all these things are attributed to wanting to like be quote unquote good, right? And be a yep. good girl, be a good boy, whatever. So that that language there that does need to change, and I think that's huge. And oh, it's so toxic. Yeah, I, it's hard like, for a kid. I, we totally subscribe to that same school of thought. Like, there is no bad child. Mm-hmm. There is, you know, if you're seeing what would be considered bad behavior or labeled by bad behavior then it's a failure on the part of the caregivers to figure out what the core of it is. Like there's something going on. 
like children need to be nurtured and they need to be helped. And if they are acting out in some way, something's going on. So let's talk about that, right? Like the caregiver needing to identify what's going on. What was the diagnostic process like? Because again, you're dealing with somebody who's so young that can be tough and presenting so many different symptoms, right? Yeah. And it it was really tough too, because, and this is like opening a whole can of worms. So I'll just touch on it. But she had actually been through a trauma at age two and a half. I, I guess we all had I am just learning to admit that we all had, but, um, she was actually attacked by our family dog, um, at two and a half years old. And we are dog people. We are like, everything was done, right. The, Mm -hmm. she was brought up to know not to hug a dog. Like I could go through the whole thing and I've received criticism until I talk about it. And then people understand the situation. So like, everything was done right. It was a terrible, terrible, terrible situation. And she needed to have quite extensive plastic surgery on her face. Oh shit. It was really bad. Uh, like it wasn't, it was really bad, but the whole, the whole scenario was really bad for all of us. So it was very difficult to figure out, uh, like there was talk of whether it was PTSD Mm -hmm. from that you know, it was a small dog. He was a wiener dog. Um, and I've never seen him. a wiener dog be anything but a wiener dog. Yeah, he, he, it was actually devastating. We were house sitting for someone. Um, they had a wiener dog puppy that had been like nipping him mm-hmm. and just driving him crazy. He was in a bed covered with a blanket. She sort of went to peek in, even though like, you know, we yeah. had rules, no kids in the dog bed, no dogs in the kit. Like there, it was just, there were so many rules. And just on that particular day, I think he was out of his element and he thought that she was the puppy yeah. coming, but he just, and it was awful. And he was her like little best buddy. So that was really hard for her too, because she kept saying, I want to tell Coda Soli. And I'm like, I know you too, but you know, Coda was the one that made the mistake. Coda mm-hmm. made a bad decision. We had to like enforce that. She was devastated. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when her symptoms show up six months later, a lot of care practitioners were saying, okay, this could be PTSD. This could be, you know, emotional trauma that she didn't deal with. You know, her surgery wasn't great either. It didn't go very well. So there was a lot of stuff to sort of think about there. And that unfortunately sidetracked us a right. lot. Cause we were really trying to link the two and just went down completely the wrong path. Uh, it wasn't until the ticks really started up and it stopped just being emotional or behavioral, mm-hmm. um, that I started to see a rhythm in them. And there was just something in me right away that was like, this is neurological. Like it just, I can't even explain it. It's, you know, the mother thing, whatever, or maybe any human that, saw the way that it was presenting. You know, you, you have the intuition. Yeah. It's your kid, you know, you know. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, crap, (laughs) here we go. I don't, I am over my head. Like, I don't Mm. know anything about any of this. And, you know, I was like in major contact with her doctor. She's lovely through everything. And I started saying, okay, this is what I'm looking at. So then it went down the path of, do we need to do brain scans to make sure that there isn't 
you know, a, a tumor or a, you know, and then there was also, it could be uh, a very controversial diagnosis of pandas or pans. Are, are you familiar with I, that at all? I have all? no idea what that is. Okay. So it is basically like a pediatric uh, neurological syndrome brought on by infection, commonly strep. And it's like becoming more acceptable now to throw that diagnosis out there a a while ago, like as early as like sort of five, six years ago, it was super new. And a lot of doctors didn't even believe that it was a real thing. There wasn't a lot of information on it. Sorry. So it's like if an infection in the body gets bad, it can go and impact the child neurologically. It's like the body, it's, it's very similar to like autoimmune issues. So the body, okay. instead of fighting the infection, mobilizes and actually attacks the brain. Wow. Yeah. So we were kind of starting to go down that route and they were exploring different anti-inflammatories and how that would affect her behavior because the inflammation in the brain would mm-hmm. be causing, you know, more ticks and more, and it was, it was working you know, all of these things that you would do to treat pans or pandas were, it was working. And so I'm like, Oh, okay. Have we found the diagnosis? But there was just something that just didn't didn't feel quite right. And, and that was a really uh, uncomfortable time for me because I didn't want to be questioning experts Mm -hmm. in the field like, what did I know? But there was something in my gut that just like, they were like, this is it. We're really sure. And here's the treatment. And it's, it's very intense treatment. Like, yeah, they wanted to put her on antipsychotics as part of it because yeah. And I, I am hesitant, not because I'm against antipsychotics. I think they're fabulous. If you need them, what I'm concerned about is there is history of mental illness in my family and in Nick's family. Mm -hmm. And I did not want to start messing around on a four-year-old kid Mm -hmm. with these really intense drugs. It just freaked me right out. And I, you know, I had talked with Nick about it a lot and I'm like, if we have to go down this path, we will, but there's just that thing that's telling me that it's not quite right. Like I'm reading the list of symptoms and everything. And it's like so close, but it just still doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. And so talked to my doctor a lot, talked to the specialists a lot. And we decided to just like hold off a little bit. And I'm very thankful we did because when, oh, so I should tell you, so we were on a family road trip, which mm-hmm. is one of our favorite things. And her tics had really increased. They were so intense that she was visibly frustrated by them. Mm-hmm. She would sit on her hands and pinch herself and try to breathe through them. And they were happening constantly. And how old is she now at this point? She would have been five okay. and a bit at this point. And I started filming her very secretly because it was so important that she not mm-hmm. see me film her to me. I just didn't. Like she was already so frustrated with herself. If if I'm now filming her and mm-hmm. they, like, I, I probably could have passed a few of them off. Like, oh, you're just so cute. But it would have yeah. eventually made her feel really insecure. So I was being very secretive about it. 
And I was filming her and saving them in a file to show her doctor immediately. And I'm a very not private person because I kind of spill my guts on Instagram, (laughs) but, but Nick says jokingly that if he ever wants to know how I'm doing it a day, he just needs to check Instagram because I'm more open and emotional on Instagram than I am anywhere else. Mm -hmm. I'm actually like a very sort of private person when it comes to emotions and I process and deal with things quietly on my own. I don't really share. I'm not like a, you know, Nick, we need to talk weepy person. (laughs) And maybe I, maybe I should be, I think it would probably be healthier if I was, but I'm not. We're all learning, you know? (laughs) So I, I kept pretty much everything that was going on with Ella to myself Mm -hmm. through this whole time. I kept it private for four years, basically. And it had nothing to do with being ashamed of what was going on with her or anything. It had to do with the fact that I didn't have any answers. Mm -hmm. And that stressed me and it worried me. And I didn't want, you know, my mom calling for updates or how did the doctor's appointment go or what did they, I didn't want to have them being stressed or worried about her. I just want to sort of quietly deal with it. So I would talk to Nick about it. And mostly I was just staying up all night researching. And every time something new happened, I would add that to my list of symptoms and going to the doctors. And we were on this road trip and I'd been filming and my dad called. And my dad and I have a great relationship, but an interesting relationship. We're like not very emotionally open with each other, but we're very alike. And for some reason, I just totally opened up to him and I started saying everything that had been going on this whole time out loud. And this is going on and this is what she's doing and everything. He's like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. And I said, just don't worry about it. Like I got it sorted. I just needed to tell somebody. And it was a two hour conversation and I hung up the phone and I had just said everything out loud all together at once for pretty much the first time. And for some godforsaken reason, I was like, oh my God, I think it's Tourette's. Mm-hmm. And Nick looked at me and he's like, what? And I'm like, I, I think Ella has Tourette's. And he's like, what are you talking about? We had watched an interview with Billie Eilish about a year prior. And all of my friends were with us and we were watching it and we're like, you know, this kid, she was a kid. Mm-hmm. She's amazing. Yeah. Doesn't she remind you so much of Ella? And everyone's like so much. She's so much like Ella. And I'm like, yeah, what is it? The blonde hair? I don't know. And they like <laughs> kind of look alike. But not, and everyone's like, I don't know. She's just like, this is big girl Ella. Like this is exactly Ella. And then she had come out as having Tourette's. I didn't shortly know after that. Yeah, I didn't know she's this. got Tourette's. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. It is fascinating, and it has been the greatest gift. Like honestly, I it it was a heavy hand in diagnosing Ella because it was just like this little thought swirling in my mind. Oh, Ella's like Billie Eilish. I don't know what it is that makes me think of her. Mm-hmm. Billie Eilish has Tourette. I just told my dad all this stuff and I just went, oh my God. And I started researching on my phone in the car 
behavior of children with Tourette's. Mm-hmm. And I'm reading and I'm reading and I'm going, holy shit. Yeah. It was like I was reading a, a story, a novel about my child or, or biography. Like mm-hmm. it was astounding. It was so much so that <laughs> that I got kind of emotional and I was like, all these unique things <laughs> we think are, you know, our unique daughter are Tourette's. Like it, it was, it was amazing to me. And I wrote my doctor and said, I need to see you as soon as we get back. I went in to the appointment and immediately said, I think she has Tourette's. And as soon as I said it, like a light bulb went off in her head and she went, of course, that's exactly what it is. And like started sending out referrals. All right. And we're going to take a quick break and let our listeners know who we're supported by. We are supported by True Earth. And if you listen to our podcast, you know that Shane and I are in the process of becoming more environmentally friendly at home. People are listening to this podcast for sure. And they're knowing this about us, right? I hope so. (laughs) One way that we're doing this is by eliminating single-use plastics in the household. And with two kids and a lot of laundry between the four of us, our laundry room is just like a mess of clothes and detergent bottles and like soapy detergent everywhere. I don't know who keeps spilling it. It's not like that in there. Well, it was like that. Okay, say that. Sorry. You're making it seem like we're not (laughs) abiding by what we've changed. We've been doing these reads forever. It hasn't been like that in like months, months, months. Well, about six months. About six yes. months. This is what our laundry room used to be like. And folks, it was it was disgusting. It was Whatever so gross. Whatever you've written on that phone, you have to change it afterwards because we go over this argument every time. But no, keep the argument. We're keeping right, it on we're air. We're keeping the argument. We're not starting this. Once, <laughs> once the train leaves the station, that is these ad reads. We go. So when we did discover True Earth about six months ago, we have not looked back, all right? The detergent comes in pre-measured soluble strips that you simply rip apart and stick in the machine. So you're not spilling soap all over the place. If you overpour, it's not going to sit on the ground. You don't have to wipe your hands on other clothes that's sitting there. It's like a bad infomercial. Yeah, it's so easy. And the best part is that there's no plastic. So the packaging is super compact and it has drastically changed the tidiness of our laundry room. It is the best part. Yeah. Well, I guess the planet stuff. Of course, the planet stuff is good. Uh, And also as a family of kids who have really sensitive skin, lots of eczema here, we opt for the baby detergent. So it's fragrance-free, it's gentle on everybody's skin, and it is still super tough on dirt. So our clothes come out smelling great and crispy clean. You can check out True Earth Detergent at true.earth and use the promo code thisfamilytree10 to get 10% off your order. You will love this product. Take our word for it. And again, that is true.earth and thisfamilytree10. But we are also supported by the Miku Pro Smart Baby Monitor. This is the most accurate sleep and breathing monitor ever. It's the Michael Jordan, it's the Terminator, it's the Serena and Venus Williams. Oh, it's the Richard Williams. No, wait, no, we don't, we don't like him as much. No. <laughs> <laughs> so far, we're only halfway through that movie, but continue. <laughs> but this monitor is amazing. What I love about it is that there is no physical contact because they use sensor fusion technology. And typically with smart monitors, your baby has to wear like a chest strap or a sock or something like that to monitor the breathing accurately. But with their military grade tech, They don't need to do that. It is very cool. And then it works with your smartphone to alert you of changes to your baby's vitals and nursery conditions. I remember when we were doing research on what monitor to get Betty. 
I was watching this guy. He's like a monitor baby tech guy and he's on YouTube and he tested this monitor by doing like a fake stopping breathing and other smart monitors that are big on the market to see which one would sound the alarm quickest. And the Miku Pro Smart Baby Monitor sounded the alarm seconds before any other monitor did. It was very cool to see. Plus, big one, Shane. Crypto security, baby. There's no hacking. Oh, sorry, hackers, you nerds. <laughs> this monitor offers HV video and photo, and it obviously has great night vision. Plus, there are custom dual Ole Wolf speakers and a two-way microphone, so you can, you know, not only play original sleep lullabies for your little baby, but you can talk to and comfort your kid through the monitor. So you can get this at MikuCare.com. And if you use the promo code FAMILYTREAT10, you're going to get 10% off. This is available in the U.S. only. And again, that is MikuCare.com and FAMILYTREAT10. And now let's get back to our interview with M. Weinman. So was, was getting the diagnosis that you had been waiting for, right? And like nobody has a baby and then says, oh, I hope my child deals with Tourette's one day. It's it's not something that we say, right? Yeah. Because it, it does make a lot of things more difficult and, and we don't want that for our kids. Yeah. But in getting exactly. this diagnosis, are you feeling relief? Are you feeling scared? Are you overwhelmed? No, it was like, it was almost joyful. Yeah. It was so bizarre. It was like this weight and everything just started to to dissolve and it was like this weight had just been lifted i was so excited at the possibility of like having some guidance mm-hmm. or learning more about what we were dealing with about being able to help her mm-hmm. like it was just she was she was having such a hard time and you know as a parent you you don't want your kids to have to suffer in any way. You just really don't. And if I could have taken it away from her, I would have, but I, I couldn't. And I couldn't even help her through it because I had no idea what we were dealing with. So having this diagnosis was a godsend. And telling her was one of the most emotional and like profound things that I have ever been through. I didn't even consider that was something that needs to happen, but of course it is. Especially in her case, because she was so angry with herself. Mm-hmm. And I remember I I was in the doctor's office and I sort of crouched down in front of her and I held her arms and I said, baby, she said, yeah. I said, <laughs> do you, you remember all those times that you told me you didn't mean to? Or you weren't in control. And she said, yeah. And I said, you were right. You, you, this is your brain. Your brain is doing something that's making your body do stuff that you don't want to do. It's not your fault. Mm -hmm. And she went, it's not my fault. And I said, it's not your fault. And she just went, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. Over and over again and burst into tears. And it was like, and then we all cried. Even the doctor, like, (laughs) and it was transformative for her. Like in that moment, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden she could forgive herself. And this is from this like tiny, tiny person. And I should say Tourette's is very unique 
because it comes with um, a lot of really interesting things that sort of make up Ella's personality. Mm-hmm. And that also, that includes like her um, ability to process language and therefore use language her. So that like has a hand in how emotionally cognitive she is. She's like very, in tune with herself and able to express Mm -hmm. how she's feeling or understand. So it kind of makes more sense why she was having such big thoughts at such a young age and expressing them in a way that you would expect, you know, your 16 year old child to, but you know, it also made it very, very important that we share with her exactly what's going on. Yeah. And also because, it's very important that she knows that there's no shame in this at all. And that, you know, I've got this, a nine-year-old kid now who's genuinely proud to have Tourette's and proud to talk to people about it. Well, I was going to ask what her relationship with her diagnosis is and that answers it. And, you know, you, you say that you felt almost joy and so much relief at finding out the diagnosis because then you're like, Hey, now I have at least a roadmap, right. And help. And you are part of a community, right. That like of parents and children with Tourette's. So how is that helpful? Cause I know, you know, this is just being in education and having family who's been in education for years. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes parents are very hesitant to get their kids diagnosed if they're neurodiverse because they don't want their kid to be different. And they they think that that is going to be more of a burden on them than actually having a diagnosis. And I think it's so important to talk about how, how helpful just being in communities like these can be. And it will yeah. essentially, my view on it as just an educator is that it helps the kid immensely in all facets Hugely. of their life. Hugely. I, I, I genuinely think it is a massive disservice mm. to your child to not get them diagnosed because everybody's different. Yeah. Every <laughs> single person on this planet is different. Do you not want to know what kind of unique differences your child has so that you can hold their hand and help them through life so that you can hand them tools mm-hmm. to make them feel better and feel okay and potentially be more successful. Like mm-hmm. for us, that's not an end goal, be more successful, mm-hmm. but be happy sure is. Yeah. Like happiness, peace, like self-love, those are hugely important. And, and success can be measured by so many different things, right? It doesn't need to be measured yeah. by money or career or whatever. Absolutely. Because that, that is yeah. going to be so different. And, you know, I think about like the conversations that you would have had with Ella, starting with that one where it's like, baby, you, we know what's going on. It wasn't your fault. You have Tourette syndrome because that is the first of, I'm sure, several conversations you need to have with her, especially at her young age. And I want to ask about, you know, how do you prepare her for possible bullying if she has tics, dealing with other kids and and that kind of thing. Because I know that can be so tough. And whether your kid has a diagnosis or not, that's a very hard conversation to have. I think normalizing it is our biggest weapon. Like the more we talk about it as a fact, as part of who she is, the more we outline everybody's differences or everybody's unique things. Like I'm very open about things that are tough for me. I'll, I'll say to her like, Oh, you know, I, I have a really hard time with loud noises. So 
I'm feeling really overwhelmed right now. Mm -hmm. Like I talk about myself in that way too. And, and we, we just normalize that. So I think like when you have a, a little bit of shame and you're dealing with a bully, it's very easy to sort of wallow in that or to, to go into that that feeling of shamefulness. And if we can do the best job we can to eliminate that or eliminate her feeling like she is, you know, weird or, or different in a, in a negative way, then a bully just looks like, sorry, sorry, but just looks like an idiot. And that's kind of how, how she feels. She's like, like you should hear her. It's it's really like it's it's so wonderful. And she has had kids say stuff, and she says stuff like, "Uh, sorry, this is just the noise that you know I make, and I can't control it. So that's really <laughs> sad that you have a problem with it." Like, I love it. Um, you know, she said to people stuff like, "Um, you know, when you have to sneeze, yeah, next time try not doing that." That's perfect. and they'll be like you know, because that's very much what a tick feels like for her, like a building cough or sneeze. And if you could imagine what it would feel like Mm -hmm. to be sitting in class with this desperate need to sneeze constantly Mm -hmm. and like trying to suppress it, not only will it eventually come out, but you are going to be so overwhelmed and so uncomfortable that whole time. And that's exactly like, uh, people with Tourette's can often uh, suppress ticks. Mm-hmm. Ella definitely can. And so I'm also trying to normalize it so that she feels comfortable letting them out in places that aren't kind of her safe zone mm-hmm. because it's very, very hard for her to, for example, concentrate in school um, and listen to what's going on if she's spending all her time suppressing ticks or the equivalent yeah. for us would be like trying not to cough and sneeze because that's all you focus on. No, I think that's a great, a, such a great analogy that made it way easier for even me to understand what it must feel like. But that, that is so difficult. And I think that bringing conversation to it into everybody's differences, you know, whether they are in physical ability, neurodivergence, whatever, is the foundation mm-hmm. to kind of getting to the next spot. Now, I'm curious because, you know, your conversations, too, are different now because uh, as opposed to when she was four or five and she's still trying to figure out what's wrong with her, too, and she doesn't know if something is and it's it's so emotional and overwhelming. When you two talk about it now because she gets what's going on, she has more language to describe that than she would have when she was four. So are do you guys just talk about it super openly then amongst yourselves or? Yeah. And actually you, you really got me thinking, cause I don't know. I'm not sure that I'm talking about it very differently at this point than I was when she was four. And part of that's like, I wish you could meet Ella for a few minutes because she's, she's like 25 years old. (laughs) And I know like people say that a lot, but it's, it's really astounding. So I think like her at four is maybe some, some other kids like emotionally or with language at, at eight. Mm -hmm. And that is part of Tourette's. And, and so it was very easy to talk to her just very bluntly and, you know, sort of simplifying the science of it, even at that age. The other thing that we talk about a lot and have since she was young 
younger, younger, she's still so young, <laughs> is that Tourette's is, is amazing. It's, there are so many parts of her, beautiful, beautiful parts of her personality that actually come with Tourette's, mm-hmm. athletic ability, the language mm-hmm. aspect, um, artistic ability, uh, musicality mm-hmm. is one that comes hand in hand with Tourette's. And fascinatingly, people with Tourette's, I don't want to say always, but I think it, I think it may be always, but I'll say often when they are doing something musical, their ticks completely stop. Oh, wow. So it's a very interesting thing that goes on. Like, it's like their, their brain just like vibes with music and gets on this. Yeah. Yeah, It's astounding. So like Ella, Ella's been writing music since she was like three, she would, (laughs) she would sing these little tunes and I'd say, Oh, you know, what's that song? And she'd say, Oh, I made it up. And I'd kind of go, no. Okay. And, uh, (laughs) which is so terrible, but I thought for sure. (laughs) And then I found this little notebook that she kept beside her bed and had dots on it. And the dots would go up and the dots would go down. And I said to her, what's this? What are you, what are you drawing? And she said, it's not a drawing. It's my songs. And she didn't know how to write or read music. So she was putting dots to remind her where to sing the notes. Yeah. That's incredible. And yeah, it was wild. And then by the time she was, I think probably five, she would fully sing these songs. And I would find myself going, did you make that up? Because I (laughs) I almost couldn't tell if it was like, and she'd go, yeah. And like, this is a huge aspect of her personality mm-hmm. that is, is coming hand in hand with Tourette's. This is a beautiful, amazing part of her. And so, you know, she has asked me and other people have asked me, you know, do you ever wish that I didn't have this? Or do you wish that Ella didn't have this? And we touched on it before, obviously, as a parent, I I hope that she doesn't experience too many hurdles. Mm-hmm. I I don't want life to be difficult for her. I don't want her to suffer in any way. If I could take it away, I would, but I don't want her to be Tourette's free because that takes away so much of what makes her so amazing. And, and so, you know, just, she's cool. She's a cool, cool kid. And, um, we talk a lot about that. And so I think in a way while she's very open sometimes and says, you know, oh, today I just really hate my Tourette's or, oh, like sometimes I hate my Tourette's. She's never said, I hate having Tourette's. I wish I didn't mm-hmm. have it because she also understands that, you know, it's so much of who she is. We're talking about how her brain works, like the yeah. fundamentals, the core of her and who she is. Shane has like my husband has he he's undiagnosed. We don't know what we we talk about it a lot. He does a lot of research. TikTok has actually been helping him kind of self-diagnose, but he's he's trying to get um in to see a psychologist or whatever he needs to go to. We're trying to get referrals so that he can get a diagnosis for his neurodivergence as an adult. Mm-hmm. Be- because Which is tricky. It's <laughs> It's so hard. It's so hard. Yeah. And uh, 
But but he is, you know, he looks at his symptoms that he has and he says, look, like these are the things that made school really hard for me. Yeah. You know, he wasn't successful in high school, but he's an incredibly successful man in what he does. And he said, these things have become my superpower and learning how to deal with them and use them to my advantage has become my superpower in everything that I do. And I attribute all my success to these things. And without them, you know, maybe I would have done better in high school, but would I be doing the operating at the level that I am today in producing and directing and whatnot? And it's amazing. And I think that that is so important to recognize too. Like, I don't have a superpower. (laughs) You know what I mean? And, uh, and that's, but that's also why diagnosis is so important too, right? mm -hmm. Because that, that would, allow him as a child to figure out his superpowers and to use them like a toolbox, right? Like instead of floundering in a school system that is not built for people with neurodivergence. Especially at that age, like, you know, 20 years ago, especially now, at least everything is more scaffolded and different. Like we have different things in place to help students be successful. But at his age, he, he didn't graduate from high school. And yeah, does not have that. You know what I mean? Like, it it doesn't really matter. It's interesting because when we started our conversation, I said, we were sitting through the, you know, the initial diagnostic process and they're asking me and Nick, you know, is there anything, is there anything? And we're going like, no, I don't even understand. So as we went further down that path, now things are like hitting us and we're going, (laughs) oh shit. Like maybe that's why high school was so impossible or, you know, like, you know, for me, high school was so difficult. Trying to fit inside this box was so difficult, but I have been successful in every endeavor that I've put my mind to in my life. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm not someone who is like totally floundering, but systems are not something for you that, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're built for a very generic kind of person. Mm-hmm. No, I was just going to say, so I'm, I'm like, I'm so grateful for Ella's diagnosis. And yes, I'm grateful that the, the school systems have changed a little bit, but even still, like you really need to have that diagnosis in your arsenal in order to like, it, I, I have it all. And it's still been a process making sure that Ella gets the support that she needs. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. No. And, and at least with the diagnosis, you know, it allows schools and things to legally provide that support and help out and change curriculum and whatnot. But it's still, it's still you fighting for those supports because like money's getting taken out of the school system all the time by the government. And it leaves us with fewer EAs, fewer certs and teachers that are able to write these, you know, IEPs and other curriculums and everything like that. And it is so hard. It's so hard. And we need more parents, no, like really whether you have a child who has an IEP or neurodivergence, whatever, more parents need to recognize the need for that. And I think stand up for school systems when it comes to government and whatnot, because it's it's so crucial. It's so crucial. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It absolutely is. It's, it's also interesting, like I know I touched a little bit on it before, but um, when we were exploring whether she had, you know, pans or pandas mm-hmm. and she was on those anti-inflammatories and stuff like her symptoms reduced. And so we thought we were on the right track. 
we later found out that her symptoms reduced because she had physical pain in her body from her tics from, you know, so she was taking an anti-inflammatory was making her pain better. And as the stressors diminish on her body, her symptoms reduce. If she, if she has a cold, her tics will just go through the roof. They'll be completely out of control. I had no idea there was a connection. Yeah, totally. Any stress, emotional stress, physical stress, any like, so repressing, for example, if she's repressing in class, that actually increases her symptoms is this big snowball. And then she's so overwhelmed and so drained at the end of the day. So the reason I tell you this is because like when relating to the school system, when you don't have tools to hand to her teachers to help them out, when you don't have your diagnosis, when you, when you're going on nothing and you're sending a kid off somewhere, a system that isn't built for them and they're already struggling that is a lot of stress on them. It's also stressful for the teachers, but that's like a whole different <laughs> yeah, ball game. Absolutely. It's like, like, I can speak to that personally. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's very, it's difficult for everyone all around. Um, but, you know, as it, as it adds to her stress and she isn't getting the support that she needs, then her symptoms increase and it gets worse. And so it just leaves everyone scrambling and feeling really, really overwhelmed. <sighs> No, it's I, so important. It is. And I, I think that's an important note to leave on because I, I really love how this conversation, you kind of had me going through everything from, you know, I was misty a couple times during this talk, just trying to put myself in the shoes of you having these conversations, going through this diagnostic process. But I love that it ends on beauty in a level of just such deep beauty within your daughter and in people that do have Tourette's and do have other neurodiver- neurodivergences, I guess. But I love, I love that thought. And that's what I want everybody to take away, everybody who's listening to take away from this. Because I think that is such an amazing way to frame this conversation. I love that you did that. But where can listeners go to follow your story? Check you out. You're an oversharer online. You said, where can we go to uh, <laughs> to hear this? So I so I am. And I've actually, I, I took a, like a little bit of a setback during the pandemic just because, uh, well, Ella got super overwhelmed and I needed to, to really be there for her. So, uh, but I am, I'm at us happy for, which is uh, sort of a joke. <laughs> so we're just trying to figure it out. Um, but us happy for on Instagram is really where, where I am. And, you know, on there, Ella's actually asked to start sharing stuff. No so way. I think we're going to be doing that. And, you know, I have a highlight on Tourette's and I have a highlight of Ella's singing. And I would love for people to go and see you know, how my, my beautiful girl with Tourette's, like she really is so sparkly and so cool. And, uh, I hope that it helps sort of break the stigma down a little bit. Absolutely. And, and this is so aside from everything important that we've been talking about, but also great interior design. So go check out <laughs> for that as well. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I look at your post and I'm like, Oh my God. This looks amazing. Thanks. Yeah, that's I actually my husband. That's what my husband and I do for a living. We're, we run a business together. That's yeah, I can tell. It looks great. But <laughs> um, thank you so much for spending the evening with me and going through all this and sharing so openly. I, I really love your story. And I'm, I'm just I'm so happy that you're able to share it with our listeners. 
Thank you. I'm super appreciative to have the chance to. So. Oh, absolutely. But super nice meeting you also, like yeah, kind of in person. <laughs> yeah, totally. All right. Well, you have a, a lovely night. I'll let you know when all this goes up. Okay. That sounds great. All right. Take care. Okay. Bye. See ya. Great job. Now, Alex, what do you think? No, I thought it was fascinating, although I am on a little bit of a high alert with Lou just because of the timing of everything. But like Em said, and I am remembering it constantly, and it's reassuring me that all kids, like almost all kids go through these habits and tics, like well, vocal tics People and don't necessarily remember what we're talking about right now, that we're talking about Lucy has, mm-hmm. since you had this interview, is exhibiting vocal tics and yeah. it's constant it's like all every day all day long yes for so, the last two weeks yeah it's it's got us we're not alarmed but it's got us on alert yeah i've written it down in a little lucy notes thing i have in my phone do you really need that it's 24 no, no, 7 i know because it has to be a certain timeline so i wrote okay. down the date that oh, it the started original date. Mm-hmm. so that because em said that you know ticks in order to be considered something more than just like a regular childhood tick, it has to last longer than a year, a full year consistent yeah. with no breaks. So just wrote it down, going to keep track, you know. Yeah, doesn't seem like there's any end in sight, but who knows? I guess <laughs> new habits can come up. But this is the mailbag segment. This is where Alex takes your questions, answers them, and then I kind of sit back and enjoy what's going on today. All right, so... Our first question. One person just says, simply, third kid. And I say, no, unless it's an accident. No, or we have some weird change of heart that totally flips our lives upside down. Or win some type of lottery. But I don't even think that I put myself through pregnancy again. But no, probably no third kid. Unless we do ayahuasca or something. <laughs> that, would be, that would be the big groundbreaking thing I was talking about. So the next question, I have a male friend who is married with kids and said that he would love to have one day in the year where he can have a hall pass and do whatever he wants, like intimacy wise, no questions asked. Is this something that all men want or think of doing? Shane, do you want to speak on behalf of all men? Yeah, there's a movie called Hall Pass (laughs) with Owen Wilson and uh, I think it's done by the Fairley Brothers, but it really makes a hall pass not seem all that great. So I don't know, maybe at one point in my life I would have dreamed for a hall pass, but I think in reality you're just, uh, in my case, a dilf out on the town trying to have a one night stand. It's easier said than done. No, well, maybe not maybe not easier said than done. Like, I don't think it would be difficult for you if you wanted to go out and meet somebody at a bar and do a hall pass that kind of way. I don't think it would be difficult. The act of it, what I think would be difficult and what I, because I looked this one up just to see what, you know, the experts say. Yeah. Essentially, I read like five essays or journals um, from different sex therapists and whatnot. They all say that it's essentially a recipe for trouble, recipe for disaster. If this is where you're at, that you're starting to think, okay, maybe maybe we're going to try this out to see if it strengthens our relationship somehow. Because emotional connections can develop if they maybe hall pass with somebody they kind of know, or, you know, maybe have a really great experience with the person that they had relations with. Yeah. Right. And then also 
it makes possible affairs from that point a little bit easier because that ice has been broken. Also, people may develop insecurities, either person in the relationship, like the person that did the hall pass or the person that allowed the hall pass. And just the amount of negative things that can come up in a relationship because of that is probably not worth it. So the recommendation from these therapists, I mean, they're trying to sell you on something here, but would be to go to therapy or at least see if you and your partner can talk it out and pinpoint what the problem is that is, you know, making that seem like a good solution to, you know, your relationship woes, I guess. Hmm. Now, what do you think? Have these journalists had hall passes before? How can we know? No, they're they're not journalists. They're sex therapists. Have they so, had hall passes? No, but they would have had clients that have been through this, right? Okay, so they got their ear to the ground. If you're Jewish, is it called hall Passover? <laughs> no? <laughs> <laughs> okay, next question. Our Bit doc- of a hol- relationship holiday, right? There you go. Are doctors actually prescribing parks passes in Canada? So all parks passes. <laughs> So, yes, in Canada, not every single doctor, but there's about I don't know over a thousand doctors. I'd say between one and two thousand doctors in Canada who have partnered with the Parks Association. There's about twenty five hundred, yeah. <laughs> and they are able to prescribe passes to Canada's national parks to treat maladies. Hmm. Maladies is the word I'm looking for, right? Seems a little lazy doctoring to me. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. How about you have a picnic at a park? No, 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 no. I it's don't just, know, Yogi. It, Encouraging people to get out in nature it can be so good holistically for somebody. I could have told you that. Well, but yeah. But doctors seem like, you know, maybe do something. But national in parks in Canada cost a lot of money to go oh. visit. So they are uh, allowing people to get passes to the parks for free. That's nice. pretty cool, right? Very cool. Yeah. Not every province is in it. I think it's like BC, Manitoba, I know Ontario, maybe Nova Scotia. What about the territories? I'm not sure which territories mm-hmm. are involved. Um, I, I heard Yukon's in, but none of it is having none of it. <laughs> but the North is having none of it? Is none of it a territory? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I should have said that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's a very cool initiative. And I, I really think it's amazing. Although how cool would it be if Canadian national parks were free to Canadians? Encourage more travel within Canada, right? I think that would be a, a lot of Canadians are going to the national parks, though. And I think that's how they get their their money to pay to take the people. Care of them. Yeah, we, we want to right. pay people who are doing the work. No, you're right. You're right. You're thinking logically. Okay. There was an article about how a son thinks everyone in his friend is his friend, but the dad is teaching him that that's not the case. What are your thoughts on this? Okay, so there's an article. The person didn't link the article, but there's an article in which a father talked about how his son thinks everybody likes him and the dad is teaching him that that's just simply not how it works. And I was looking up... And so I'm like, you know, that's a hard lesson to teach a kid. Like, it's kind of harsh being like, actually, that person just might not like you for nothing you can control. I teach Lucy that all the time. Mm -hmm. The other day, we walked by a a little girl and she has to have a sleepover with her. (laughs) 
I'm like, Lou, that's not your friend. She doesn't, we, she may not like you. You got to see if you get along first. She was also like seven years older than yes. Lucy was. <laughs> Can I have a sleepover with her one day? Um, no, and, and it is good to kindly and sensitively teach your kid that. Um, and again, I looked at stop because I, I don't know. Is it better to let your kid live in ignorant bliss for a little while? No. Or teach them these lessons? But Lessons. Yes, that's what the experts are saying. The lessons, because it helps them to, first of all, be bully proof. If they can understand that some people aren't just going to like them for no reason, then it'll make somebody else's words hurt less if they try to, if they get made fun of or something like that. It'll help prepare them for the future, right? Know that if they're going up for a job, they're going to have to endear themselves to a boss or whatever. And just in dealing with people and relationships, I think it helps them be more self-aware and lastly, the other thing that I was reading about was it helps make them feel comfortable in their own skin because if they are thinking everybody likes them and they're always striving for that and if somebody comes out as not liking them, it's just going to make them want to fit in more. But then if they know that, hey, no matter what I'm like, somebody out there is not going to like me for no good reason. Imagine that coming out announcement. We don't like you. <laughs> I came out on the weekend and it was the biggest relief. <laughs> we actually despise you. Has anybody ever came out to you like that? I feel like it's it's so deep-rooted. I probably blocked it out. But I have something where there was something like that where it was just a we hate you type thing. Like yes. a group of people? Maybe it was a couple people and it was – but I feel like it was very deep. I, I can't remember if this is true or not, but I feel like I have something where I was like hurt hearing that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What about you? I, well, I had girls that were meeting me in high school and they didn't like me for no reason. It was like first day in, they didn't mm -hmm. like me. Um, so yeah, like I, I've, I've gotten it. Nobody has come out that I thought liked me mm -hmm. and said they didn't like me, but I've had people just straight up not like me. Mm -hmm. And it's hard. I always want to change their mind. I want to be like, I can be likable. So I need this lesson too. No. Being likable is uh, BS. You don't need to be likable. A lot of advantages to not being likable. What's an advantage to not being likable? We were talking about this a little bit on my last podcast. My other podcast, Mike How Much, not to be always promoting, but uh, Max was talking about how Mike and I sometimes aren't good on Zoom calls. Mm -hmm. Like if we're talking to someone big like Bruce McCullough or someone and we're having like like a business meeting about You guys just spoke to Tom Green? Yeah, but that wasn't a business thing. That was just mm -hmm. an interview. That's a little easier. But if it's business, he thinks like we tense up or something and we're right. not as personable or likable. And I was like, Max, if you're very charismatic and likable all the time, you can seem sleazy. You can seem disingenuous. Yeah. You'll never get called a genius. Being quiet <laughs> and socially awkward, like Max is in one of the biggest bands in Canada, arguably the biggest. Yeah. I bet you he's been called a genius like three times in his life. <laughs> I've been called a genius like 20 times this week just for being a bit odd, you know? <laughs> There's an advantage to it. Trust me. It's a power move. Just fake move. them out. I like it. Yeah. And you probably get invited out less, which can be nice if, you know, that's what your personality likes. Yeah. Well, I like getting asked out. I don't necessarily like going out at every asking, but it's nice to be considered. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't get FOMO as much because I yeah. don't have that thing where I'm always being pulled to go out there and impress people because I don't, I'm confident enough in myself. Yeah. No, I like that. All right. Next question. 
What do you do if you and your partner are wanting different amounts of sex? I married an older man and he seems to have slowed down a bit. I still want it a few times a week. Hmm. <laughs> I didn't write this one in. What do you do? <laughs> I'm okay. not that much. I'm six years older. You're an older man by definition than me. Yeah, the, w the way that seems. Though, I'm a it's spry much 32, Shane, almost 33. You are turning 33? I think so. Okay, you know so. No, I don't. I, I honestly need to think about it. I, I might need to do the math here. It's got to be. My brother just turned 30. Okay. I'm turning 32. No. You got to be 33. I got to ask my brother how old he is. No, you gotta this be. is. This is bizarre. I don't know why I don't know how old I am. Okay, continue. Okay. How old so, am I? You're going to be 39. Okay, continue. If I'm 39. <laughs> oh, then I have to be 33. Yes. For six. Okay, wow. go. Okay. So this is called desire wow. discrepancy. All right. So if you are approaching your partner about this problem, because this is, and actually tune in to next week's podcast, because I talk to a sex therapist about a lot of issues in regards to desire and, you know, when you have low desire or whatnot. But make sure that you do talk to your partner about this. Don't just harbor resentment or harbor thoughts of wanting to do it more and then suggest a hall pass and ruin your relationship. But find a neutral territory in your house, not the bedroom, not when you are cuddling up, um, but a place where you can be alone and undisturbed and actually have a heartfelt conversation and make every effort to express yourself sensitively without blame without making them feel bad for maybe not being where you were. But it's all about, I think, making your expectations known, making your desires known. And then if it's just a miscommunication, then that can get resolved in conversation. However, if there's a reason for your partner's low drive or low desire, maybe you can pinpoint that. Is there a health issue? Is it a stress thing? Do they need a doctor's appointment? Could there? <laughs> no, seriously. I know. There's a lot of health problems. <laughs> Listen, I need a doctor's appointment. You know what happens when men get old? Well, I don't. I'm so young, I don't even know. What Shame. happens? I'm serious, I don't know. What happens? There are pee pee problems. Like erectile dysfunction? Mm -hmm. I think not until your 50s, right? I don't know. I've taken Viagra before. <laughs> what? You see blue a little bit. What do you mean? You see, there's like a blue haze. Why did you take Viagra? I had a friend who was an old man and he, <laughs> like in his 60s, and he had Viagra and I asked him if I could have one. I wanted to try it. That, it was it. I was like 24, 22, 20, no, 24, yeah. The time. How was it? I didn't really notice anything. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't get my jeans off for a month. <laughs> um, but no, truly, see if there, it is a health thing and maybe they should go to see a doctor. But if it is something more on a relationship, Shane's still laughing at this. <laughs> Shane, there could be issues. I know. If they if they have desire, but they, they can't perform, that's I would like to think the man issue. would go to a doctor on his own free will. Yeah, but maybe he doesn't really recognize that it is impacting his life until the partner says, hey, 
we used to do this more. Yeah. I would like to be doing it that much still. You're right. I'm immature. I'm sorry. And lastly, maybe you want to consider some kind of relationship therapy, sex therapy, because that could be helpful as well. And again, keep your ears open for next week's interview, because I do speak to a really knowledgeable author and therapist. What if you start having sex therapy and then she becomes your hall pass, your sex therapist? Well, that would be a little awkward. It would be. Imagine the sex therapist starts recommending hall pass just because she's attracted to your husband. Or, or what if you find out through sex therapy, the problem's the woman. Yeah, but she's the one that wants to do it. <laughs> I know, but she's his kryptonite. But they've been doing it. <laughs> <laughs> but they've been doing it. Okay, whatever. Um, back to this. Last question. You said last one was last question. Oh, no, this is the last question. Okay. Sorry, second last question that was. Last question. This is really fascinating, this one. So, two babies were accidentally swapped in 1989. And when the parents found out they were swapped, they decided to keep the babies that weren't biologically theirs. I like that. What would you do in this situation? So, I didn't know about this. So, I asked the person who wrote this in for the names. And I looked more into this. There's actually a documentary. And Shane, this is perfect. We were talking about documentaries that span a period of time. This documentary spans about 30 years, give or take. And it was done through some like BBC or some kind of news station in South Africa. But it follows the birth or the realization of these two boys that were born in Johannesburg. They were the only babies that day that were born in the hospital. The second a camera crew starts following me around, (laughs) I get suspicious that there might have been a birth swap. (laughs) But they were given to the wrong mothers at birth. I heard. In 91, so when the boys were two, there was something that had to come out for like paternity and they realized the swap and they realized that the kids that they had been raising were not actually their biological sons. And then the mothers got in touch with each other and they had discussions. They, you know, had thought about it on their own with their own families. One was wealthy, one was not. And they decided to keep the babies that they had been raising instead of swapping, getting their biological child back. So that, and that's when the camera crew comes in, right? Because of course, one is, as Shane said, super rich. The other one is really poor. And then they're like best friends. And they go on like these like family vacations every summer, always at the rich kid's house. And they're like best buddies. But then when they start recognizing their differences, you know, then you have the rich kid being like, oh, I'm so glad we got swapped. And then the poor kids being like, no, I want to be with my biological parents. It is a mess, Right. Mm -hmm. Eventually, the rich mom, Megs, convinces her biological son to leave his adoptive mother and live with her. So then the adoptive mother has no kid and the rich one has two kids. It was heartbreaking. But then it was a mess. That kid leaves and he's so resentful of both women involved for doing this to him and putting him through this like giving him one life, but also showing him what his Mm -hmm. life could have been. And he said he didn't understand it. And the only thing that brought him back to his family was when he had his own kid. And he was like, I would have done the same thing. Because like if I found out, you know, a year from now that my baby wasn't mine biologically, I'd keep it. What's the question, Alex? Would you do the same thing? I got to tell the story. It's so fascinating. You don't think it's interesting? 
Well, you showed me the doc like two weeks ago. But these people have never seen the doc. I know, but these people are hard to excite me because they're not with us right now. Well, guys, watch the doc. This was a doc. live show. I'd be on the edge of my seat listening <laughs> to that. Unfortunately, I'm like... Okay, Shane, would you tired. would you have kept the baby no, that was not biologically no. yours or would you have gotten your baby? I need the biological kid. That's the one I wanted. Well, that's the one that you made, right? Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. I want that one. See, I disagree. I, I would... Keep the one that I had been raising. You would not. Yes. But I couldn't do the whole, as hard as it would be, I couldn't do the whole, let's get to know our biological kid and like give them a glimpse of their other parents and have this relationship because that is where it gets difficult in my mind. Yeah. It's it's not easy though. That Those swapped at birth. That's tough. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Actually, when I was looking up this story, I came upon another Johannesburg baby swap story. Oh, no. So, this is like, don't give birth in this hospital, guys. Yeah, that's unlucky. Yeah. But we are so lucky. We have listeners. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening to <laughs> this, this Family, Family Tree Podcast. Podcast. Was I supposed to say something? Episode no. 121. <laughs>